Is Harry Potter a secret libertarian? Are the Weasley twins paragons of free market capitalism? What would James Buchanan say about Cornelius Fudge? Coming up on Social Science Fiction. You're listening to Social Science Fiction, a podcast that blends political science and nerd culture, examining the politics of science fiction and fantasy. Hey there, today we're talking about the politics of Harry Potter. Uh, so I recently started re-reading the series, or rather re-listening to the series. I do the books on tape. The, my first exposure to Harry Potter when I was a kid was through the books on tape. And the voice actor who does the books on tape, at least in the American edition, Jim Dale, is phenomenal. By the way, just if you're a fan of Harry Potter and you've never listened to the books on tape, give those a chance. The guy is a phenomenal voice actor. All the voices are great. And because that's what I was first exposed to as a kid, I can't hear the voices any other way. So Harry Potter to this day is one of the only book series that I love that I've never actually read them. Every time, you know, I want to experience Harry Potter again, I have to go to the books on tape so I can hear those voices again. But anyway, re-listening to the Harry Potter series and I've been struck by what seem to be very libertarian themes in the series. And I thought it'd be fun today to talk about that and try to argue that Harry Potter is a secret libertarian. Now, before we go in and I try to prove my case, a couple disclaimers. One, I am not claiming J.K. Rowling is a secret libertarian herself. I'm pretty sure she identifies herself as being politically liberal. I believe she has endorsed the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom's left-of-center political party. I think a lot of liberals at the moment would be happy to disown her, given recent events, but I know she identifies as being politically liberal. I'm also not claiming that Harry Potter is meant to be read as libertarian allegory, or that you have to be a libertarian to like Harry Potter, or that there are no other ways to look at the Harry Potter series. I know people across the political spectrum have seen messages that they agree with in the book. Whatever your politics, please continue to enjoy Harry Potter. It's a fun book series. There's lots of great stuff in there. This is just for fun. I have picked up on a lot of what could be called libertarian themes in the series, and I thought it'd be fun for me to try to argue that case. And so that's what I'm doing here. So, with that caveat out of the way, let's talk about libertarianism and Harry Potter. But first, let's talk about what libertarians actually believe, so I can try to make my case here. What do libertarians believe? Well, libertarians will say that they, uh, their beliefs are very complex, there's a lot to cover, but I think we can cover the basics pretty quickly. Libertarians are, at their core, supporters of limited government and expansive individual liberties, hence libertarian. So libertarians believe that government is best when it's kept as small as possible. Libertarians, big on the idea that big government runs the risk of becoming tyrannical and taking away our rights, our freedoms. So that's what libertarians believe. We need to keep government small because we're suspicious of government. We're suspicious of anyone with power and authority. Power corrupts. If we give the government too much power, they will abuse that power. We need to keep government small to ensure that individuals have the freedom to live their lives as they choose. And so libertarians are big believers in individualism, individual liberty, individual responsibility. 
Each one of us has a right and responsibility to live as we choose and to not interfere in the lives of others without their consent. That's the core of libertarianism. And flowing from all that, libertarians, big supporters of free market capitalism, right? The economic system that says the government should stay out of it. The economy works best when people are free to buy, sell, exchange, own property, use property, however they choose, without the government interfering in the process. That's the core of libertarianism. Now, I know there are some libertarian listeners who are screaming at their computers or at their car stereos or whatever right now, telling me that I'm missing all the important stuff. I'm not talking about the non-aggression principle, the night watchman state, and so on. There's, of course, there's a lot to cover. Complex political ideology. But that's the basis of it. Small government, free markets, individualism. And I think that's enough to be going on with. So, let me make my case, given that, that Harry Potter is a secret libertarian. Let's start off with book one. The first mention of any kind of politics or government in the Harry Potter series comes when Harry Potter and Hagrid are taking a boat back from that little island where Harry's aunt and uncle had hidden them, trying to get away from the wizards that are trying to get Harry into Hogwarts. And Hagrid goes picks up Harry the next morning, they're taking a boat back to the mainland, and Hagrid starts reading the newspaper, The Daily Prophet, and he mutters something about how the Ministry of Magic is mucking things up again, which leads to a conversation between Hagrid and Harry where they talk about the basics of wizarding politics and government. And what message does Harry take away from Hagrid's short lecture? That the government screws things up. The message is, government is incompetent. The Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, is portrayed as a nervous, incompetent little man who's constantly running to Dumbledore for help and advice. He doesn't know what he's doing. This is the the first message we get about government in the Harry Potter series. Government doesn't know what it's doing. It tends to screw things up. And furthermore, anybody with real talent or ability, intelligence, skill, would want nothing to do with government. We're told that Albus Dumbledore has continually been pushed to become the Minister of Magic, and he constantly refuses, preferring to stay out of government. Right? The smartest, most talented, most respected man in the Harry Potter series wants nothing to do with government. He wants to run his school and stay out of that. This is the first message we get about government. This is already very libertarian leaning in the series. And we only get more from there. As Harry meets more characters that are part of the wizarding world, the message we get is that people who are obsessed with law and order and authority, all the things that libertarians tend to be suspicious of, all of those characters who love those things are villains or at best comical, obnoxious characters. Harry's biggest school villain, Severus Snape, always obsessed with rules, always talking about rules and how Harry is breaking the rules. Again, it's this very anti-authoritarian message. The people obsessed with rules are the villains. Percy Weasley, Ron's older brother, another character who is obsessed with rules, longs to be in the Ministry of Magic, serious political ambitions. He's portrayed as obnoxious. His rule enforcement is just a a minor annoyance for the characters. There's really no character that's big on upholding rules and law and order that's portrayed in a positive light. The one exception people are going to raise is Hermione, who is a rule person and also ambitious like Percy Weasley. 
I'd argue the important point to remember is when do Harry and Ron become friends with Hermione? After they fight the troll on Halloween and Hermione lies to teachers to get Ron and Harry out of trouble. It is her rule breaking, her initial lying to challenging authority that unites them together. J.K. Rowling even specifically says in the first book, after Ron and Harry start hanging out with Hermione, she becomes a little less obsessed with following all the rules all the time and specifically says she's better for it. So the one character we have that's more of a rule-oriented person, we're told, improves, becomes a better person when she starts worrying less about the rules and becomes more willing to violate them, to challenge authority, to follow her own beliefs, her own agenda. So this is the first book in a nutshell. Government is incompetent. People who want to go into government are probably obnoxious and incompetent. And following rules all the time is more likely to make you the villain of the story. This is all very libertarian heavy. And this is just book one. Let's keep going. Book two begins with a very subtle glimpse at the horrors of state surveillance of people. What happens at the beginning of book two? A house elf named Dobby shows up at Harry's aunt and uncle's house. Mischief and chaos ensues. Pudding gets levitated and Harry gets in serious trouble. Now, apart from his uncle being pissed at him, locking him in his room, trying to prevent him from going back to Hogwarts, Harry also gets a letter from the Ministry of Magic saying they've detected magic being performed at his residence and they're assuming he's guilty of it and being underage and performing magic in front of muggles. He gets a warning if he does it again, he's going to be thrown out of school. What we learn is the government in Harry Potter is basically spying on everybody all the time, or at least on all the children. They have apparently spells in place that monitor whether magic is being done at people's homes. Now, this isn't emphasized at the time. It's, you know, it's presented more as a small challenge for Harry to overcome and kind of sets up that Harry now can't use magic to try to escape from his aunt and uncles. It creates kind of the initial conflict in the story. So it's not really emphasized, but it is a really scary thing. And it's something that libertarians have been talking about and warning others about for years, the dangers of state surveillance, the dangers that government will intrude too much in our lives, will start spying on us in the name of catching bad guys, terrorists, drug dealers, whatever. And again, we have the Harry Potter series telling us, yeah, government does this stuff and it's scary and it will have dire unintended consequences like Harry Potter being unjustly accused of breaking the law. Again, Right off the bat, you can't tell me this isn't very libertarian heavy. Moving on in book two, we get the first real hints of racism in the Harry Potter universe with the talk of pure bloods versus muggle-born wizards. And we learn that pure bloods, at least some pure bloods like the Malfoys, look down on muggle-born or half-wizard families. This is really the form uh, that, that racism takes within the wizarding world. You're pure blood or you're not. The pure bloods look down on everyone else. And what we come away with is a very anti-racism message. Racism is wrong. The racists, the people who believe that what you're born, who your parents were, should determine who you are, they are clearly the villains 
of the series. Again, a message that is going to resonate with libertarians who will oppose racism, will oppose any ideology that tells you to view people as part of a group and not as individuals, right? Again, we come back to the idea of individualism. Hagrid tells Hermione she's not defined by who her parents are, where she comes from. She's defined by her skills, her talents, her intelligence as an individual, right? So an anti-racism message that's going to resonate with libertarians. Now, Getting back to the government side of things and government abuses, how about Hagrid's arrest towards the middle of book two? As the monster of Slytherin starts roaming Hogwarts, attacking students, several students are petrified by the monster that will turn out to be a basilisk, the Minister of Magic turns up to arrest Hagrid and ship him off to Azkaban because there's really no good reason given. There's no evidence that Hagrid has done anything. We know for a fact that Hagrid is not responsible for these crimes, but he is carted off to Azkaban without a warrant, without probable cause, and without a trial. At no point, by, by the way, I, I really had wished it's at some point in this scene, as you have the Minister of Magic and Hagrid and Dumbledore all standing there, Harry and Ron in their invisibility cloak in the corner watching everything, I really wish Dumbledore had asked Fudge at some point if he had a warrant to take Hagrid. It's astounding the abuses that apparently the government can commit in the Harry Potter universe. The, the explanation Fudge gives is he has to be seen to be doing something. People were attacked. We think Hagrid was responsible for something similar before, so we're just going to cart him off to, to Azkaban so that people will think we're doing something. And Hagrid is told very kindly by Fudge, if it turns out you're not responsible, you'll be released and no more will be said of it. Oh, how kind of you. Again, this is all stuff that we'll have libertarians screaming about. The abuses of government, the abuses of police power, and by the way, all relevant to conversations we're having today about police abuses of power. We have a state that really without cause can just grab somebody and cart them off to prison. Beyond this violation of basic civil liberties, taking Hagrid, locking him up without trial, we also learn a little bit about Azkaban. At least there, there are hints of how horrible it is there, and we'll learn in later books in the series just how horrible Azkaban is with the Dementors and so on. We essentially learn that a stay in Azkaban is a form of mental torture on people. They are constantly surrounded by these Dementors that suck all the joy out of them, that make them horribly depressed, sap them of their will to live. I can't think of a better definition of cruel and unusual punishment. Again, the idea that prisoners, whether guilty or not, are treated so inhumanely, something that is going to shock and terrify libertarians and something that libertarians in the real world are talking about, the abuses that take place in prisons, the dangers of poor oversight of prisons and how the state treats prisoners. All this, again, very libertarian heavy. And a small point, this same scene where Hagrid is carted away, we also have at the end of the scene, Lucius Malfoy, Draco's father, showing up and saying he's getting rid of Dumbledore, to which Fudge objects, saying we can't get rid of Dumbledore, even as he's opposing him. Fudge still knows Dumbledore's the guy with talent. He's the one that they want around. And we have Malfoy telling Fudge, hey, the ministry doesn't oversee Hogwarts. We have our own board that oversees Hogwarts and decides what goes on here. What we're learning is the primary school in the United Kingdom for wizards is completely outside of government control. Now, this will change, begin to change in book five of the series, but at least when the series begins, what we learn is Hogwarts 
is apparently not a public school. It is an institution that is outside of the control of government. And what have we learned about Hogwarts? That it's run pretty well. Again, subtle little hint that when things are outside of the hands of government, they seem to work better. Of course, obviously not in this specific case, because it leads to Malfoy kicking out Dumbledore, but that gets corrected by the end of the book. Again, it's, you know, let's keep things out of the hands of government. So that's book two. Let's talk about book three in the series, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Now again, book three, we discover what Azkaban is, we learn what the Dementors are, we are really given the full picture of the torture, literal torture, that takes place in Azkaban that should have any libertarian freaking out. We further see, during this book, more instances of the state in the name of fighting crime, in the name of protecting the public, beginning to infringe on the liberties of individuals. After... Sirius Black escapes from Azkaban out of fear that Black is going to go out and murder more people. We see the Ministry of Magic sticking Dementors everywhere. They stick Dementors in Hogsmeade, the major wizarding village near Hogwarts. They stick them at the gates of Hogwarts. We have Dementors coming on the Hogwarts Express harassing students, all in the name of catching Sirius Black. What we have is, and again, very relevant for the times and the things we're talking about now, the dangers of an unrestrained police force. What we see are a police force empowered out of fear of fighting crime, empowered for the sake of promoting law and order, beginning to abuse the public it's meant to protect, to the point where we have several instances within the book of Dementors attacking innocent people. They come after Harry and his friends on the Hogwarts Express, and Lupin has to fight them off. They come after Harry while he's playing his Quidditch match and cause him to lose his first game ever. We have Dementors, the beings that are supposed to be protecting the public, attacking the public. And just the general fear that this police state creates in people. When Fudge and some of the teachers have drinks with Madame Ra's murder. She complains to Fudge that having Dementors everywhere is hurting her business and just generally bumming everyone out. Again, what we see is a law and order politician like Fudge imposing the beginnings of a police state on the wizarding community and the terror that causes, the abuse that promotes, and ultimately it shows us that it doesn't work. Black continues to evade these Dementors, and it takes other events to bring Black in, who is, of course, innocent anyway. All of this, again, very relevant to the times, and libertarians would say, this is what we're dealing with today. A government that is obsessed with law and order and has created a police force that is more likely to abuse the public than protect them. One final point in Book 3 worth mentioning, we begin to see not just the incompetence of government, but the danger of corruption within government. When Draco Malfoy is attacked by an enraged hippogriff, and Hagrid has to defend the hippogriff at trial, we learn that Draco's dad, Lucius, has connections within the Department for the Control and Regulation of Magical Creatures. We learn that because of his wealth and status, Malfoy basically can control this department and get them to rule in his favor. Hagrid loses the case. His hippogriff Buckbeak is sentenced to death, essentially because this guy, Malfoy, can get to the government officials and tell them, yeah, do what I want. 
wealth and status corrupting government. Again, government is at best incompetent, at worst corrupt and dangerous. How about book four? In book four, we get more Percy, more obnoxious, pointless obsession with regulation, political ambition without having any real accomplishments to justify his ambition, his desire for status. So we get more of that in book four. Now, at this point, a lot of you are probably saying, well, doesn't a lot of this fit with liberalism as well as libertarianism, right? Wouldn't liberals also say, hey, we should be worried about police abuses of power. Hey, we should be worried about the surveillance state and so on. And I'd say, first of all, well, fair enough, but I think liberals tend to be a little more trusting of government in general. They're less likely to say all government is incompetent or corrupt, but fair enough. Liberals certainly can also find a lot to agree with in everything we've covered up to this point. But since we're talking about developments in book four, allow me to introduce the Weasley twins. The Weasley twins are the quintessential capitalists of the Harry Potter series. The Weasley brothers are two boys who start and build up a successful business from nothing. These are characters living the American dream in Wizarding World Great Britain. This really pulls us more into that libertarian direction. The Weasley twins obsessed with making it in the business world. Characters who rebel against their mother's wishes for them, that they join the Ministry of Magic, work for government, follow in their father's footsteps. Instead, want to go off into the private sector, start their own business, build something up on their own, make money. This is what they want to do. And what do we see in book four? We see that regulations on their business, restrictions on what they can do, are annoyances and obstacles for them. As they try to test new products, the, the candies that make your nose bleed or you faint so you can get out of class and, and enjoy yourself. As they, they test these things on other students, we see Hermione trying to intervene to stop them. What we see the beginnings of in book four, and what will continue in book five, is the Weasley twins trying to prepare their business, trying to create and test products for their business. And what we see is any interference by rules and forces like Hermione, and this happens more in book five, trying to stop them for the sake of protecting other students, protecting the public. These things are portrayed as annoyances and obstacles for them. We see them testing these things on other students. And we see Hermione's interventions as being obstacles for them trying to just run their business. I'd also say, here more than anywhere else, we see what critics of libertarianism would say is the great danger of libertarianism. We have two individuals who are testing products that could be dangerous to people without any real oversight. And it's hinted that they're really testing these products on young first-year students who want a couple bucks and don't really know what they're signing up for. Students taking these candies, they faint, and then they're woken up and have no idea what happened and clearly weren't told what's going on. So we can see kind of the dangers of the libertarian philosophy here. What happens when there's no regulation, there's no oversight? Will people, will businesses abuse their customers for the sake of making a buck? But really, Rowling doesn't seem to portray it that way. It's not portrayed as these guys are dangerous and need to be regulated. They're portrayed as, no, these are good guys. They know what they're doing. And while they're a little mischievous, they're going to do the right thing. And anyone trying to interfere with them is just interfering with a, with a good, solid business. And ultimately, the Weasley twins are proven right. They start a business, and it is successful, and the products are safe. 
So again, very libertarian leaning. And this, in my opinion, is what really pulls Harry Potter from being, maybe it's liberal, maybe it's libertarian, to being solidly libertarian. Up until now, a lot of this stuff you can say, yeah, liberals would agree with this. Unbridled, unrestricted capitalism, now we're in, we're solidly in libertarian territory here. Finally, book four ends with the return of Voldemort. And it ends with Dumbledore urging Cornelius Fudge to do something about it. Declare that Voldemort is back, begin to take action to fight against him. Essentially, Dumbledore calling on the wizarding government to do the one thing that libertarians, that most libertarians would say the government does have a responsibility to do. Catch dangerous criminals who pose a threat to other innocent people. And what do we see happen? When it comes to the one job government is supposed to be doing, Fudge refuses to do it. Fudge refuses to acknowledge that Voldemort is back, refuses to take any action, and makes veiled threats to Dumbledore that if he tries to do anything to warn the public or take action on his own, Fudge will begin to interfere at Hogwarts. The incompetence of government. And what explanation does Fudge give for not announcing that Voldemort is back, for not reaching out to the giants to try to get them on their side, for not getting the Dementors out of Azkaban. His explanation is, it would be the end of my career. What are we seeing? The politician is not going to do what is best for the public. He's going to do what's best for himself, what's going to get him reelected. Now, this is an example of what in political science we refer to as public choice theory a theory of politics that was advanced by the economist James Buchanan. That's the economist James Buchanan, not the president James Buchanan. And this is a favorite theory of libertarians. Libertarians love to talk about public choice theory because public choice theory essentially says that politicians are primarily motivated by their own political self-interest. Politicians can't be counted on to do what is in the public interest they can be counted on to look at the circumstances and calculate what actions can I take that will most likely get me reelected, that will most likely allow me to continue to hold political power. Now, of course, libertarians like this theory because it's an argument for reducing the power of government. We can't trust government because the politicians aren't going to do what's in our interest. They're going to do what's in their individual political interest. So libertarians are big in this theory. And this is exactly what we see playing out with Fudge at the end of the fourth book. Fudge is not interested in doing what is in the public's interest. His chief concern is my career. What will allow me to continue to be the Minister of Magic, to continue to hold political power? And Fudge's determination to hold on to political power is what leads to his refusing to take action. It's what leads to Voldemort continuing to rise and all the problems that we'll see play out in books five, six, and seven. So, that's my case. Tell me, am I right? Am I wrong? Is there something I'm missing here? But before we wrap up, let me just offer a few closing thoughts here. Beyond these specific points I've raised that come up in the books, I, I think you can argue there's a strong strain of individualism in general running through the books. You're really don't see a lot of group stuff, team stuff in the series. There's a lot of 
people triumphing through the effort of individuals. Even when those individuals work together, it's still presented as individual efforts kind of being combined. We see so much is overcome because Dumbledore is a remarkable and uniquely talented individual. Harry's individual efforts, Hermione's intelligence, Ron's, I, I don't know, being a good, being a good friend who, who, I don't know, I don't, never mind, forget Ron. Anyway, there's a strong strain of individualism, and even the main team sport that's developed in the series, Quidditch, is really kind of an individualistic sport. It's, there's not a lot of teamwork going on there. It's, it seems the game mostly comes down to which seeker catches the snitch first, and that's an entirely individual thing. You can talk about the chasers and the keeper and what they're doing, and they can score a couple points, and the beaters can maybe help or hinder a little bit as they go, but, you know, it mainly comes down to which seeker is better. So even in Rowling's attempt to create a team sport, she ends up creating a sport that really is about glorifying the individual over the team. Now, of course, I, I, I think this is probably less likely about some hidden political message and more that Rowling clearly doesn't like sports. I think she pretty clearly doesn't get how sports work or why people like sports. And I could go on a whole separate rant about why Quidditch is a stupid sport. But I, I think it's more that she doesn't get sports and her main interest in creating Quidditch was wanting to give Harry an opportunity to shine. In the first book, he's new, he doesn't really fit into the wizarding world, and Quidditch is the thing that allows him to really excel. So I think that's why she created Quidditch, an opportunity to create a game where Harry can be the star. So I don't think there's some hidden message there, but it's still interesting that it, it does support this larger trend of heavy individualism throughout the series, which again leads into this libertarian framework. Now, as I've been talking about this and as I've been going through these books, I've been asking myself, why would a left-wing person write a book series that seems to have such a libertarian message to it? It seems kind of odd, but I think the reason is you have to put the books in the context of the time they were written. The Harry Potter series begins to be published in the early 90s, and presumably Rowling began writing them and thinking about them and planning them out in the 80s. What's going on in the 80s? Well, the 80s are the era of Reagan and Thatcher. In the United States, you have Republican President Ronald Reagan. In the United Kingdom, you have conservative Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. And these were arch-conservatives. Reagan and Thatcher were the dual cold warrior, hyper-conservative politicians of their era. And we saw them both pulling their countries politically very much to the right. And I think the effect this had on a lot of liberals who lived through that era was it caused a lot of them to be a lot less trusting in government. And by the way, this is, I think, a, a trend you see in general. Everybody becomes a little more libertarian when their political party is out of power. When a Democrat is in office, Republicans suddenly start remembering how much they hate big government and being just a little more libertarian. And it's the Democrats who are, we need more government to do the things we need to do. But suddenly, when it's a Republican in office, suddenly you've got Democrats a little more suspicious of government and government power and picking up a couple of those libertarian talking points. And you've got Republicans talking about law and order and we need a strong government to protect us and so on. So I think that's probably what's going on with Rowling. I suspect she's probably in most ways solidly liberal. 
But I suspect she's a liberal that was shaped politically by the 80s in Margaret Thatcher. So she's a liberal who lived through a time when conservative government was freaking her out. And that's probably what left kind of those hints of libertarianism on her. And that probably explains at least some of the libertarianism of the earlier books, the suspicion of government. Suspicion of government that maybe is too conservative. And as for the later books in the series, what I suspect is going on is the later books, at least the last couple, come out post-9-11 and during the War on Terror, during the administration of George W. Bush, the invasion of Afghanistan and Iraq. Another period of conservative leadership in government, at least in the United States. And it was a time when we had, again, a lot of liberal people coming back to the idea that maybe we should be suspicious of government, maybe we should restrain what government can do, because we're seeing the dangers of a government controlled by people that we don't like. So I think that's what's going on here. I don't think J.K. Rowling is a secret libertarian, but Thatcher, Reagan, and George W. Bush probably imparted a little bit of a libertarian lean to her liberalism. That's my theory, at least, about where this is coming from. One last thought. I know there's a lot of other ways to read Harry Potter and people of every political ideology have kind of seen their own messages in there. I know some conservatives have argued that Harry Potter is actually a conservative series. When Fudge refuses to recognize the threat Voldemort poses to the public and refuses to take action, a lot of conservatives said this is what liberals were doing with regard to terrorism, that liberals were soft on terrorism and we need tough conservatives who will recognize the threat. And so Some conservatives saw that message in there, that Voldemort is the terrorist, and Fudge is the liberal who refuses to take action, and Harry Potter and his friends are the neoconservatives that are going to go out and fight the terrorists. And of course, we've already mentioned plenty of liberals, see, lots to like in the series, the anti-racism message, the respect for people choosing to live their lives as they choose, the fears of a police state and police abuses and so on. Recent controversies have got a lot of progressives kind of reevaluating Harry Potter and seeing maybe more negative messages in the series now that Rowling is kind of on the outs with a lot of progressives. And of course, this is the nature of art, I suppose, especially popular art. We all tend to interpret art in a way that fits our agenda or that goes against it, I suppose. We all tend to see art that we enjoy as supporting the thing that we like, or sometimes we tend to see art as being against the stuff we like. We tend to see it in very stark terms. We tend to see the stuff we love and the stuff we hate most clearly. And I think that's what a lot of people do with Harry Potter. People tend to see either what they love in the Harry Potter series and therefore think it fits their political ideology, or they tend to see what they hate in Harry Potter and so tend to assume that Harry Potter represents the ideology that they're opposed to. And this was just me seeing kind of a libertarian message for whatever reason and trying to have some fun with it. And I hope you enjoyed listening. Was I right? Was I wrong? Is Harry Potter actually a secret neoconservative? Is he a secret communist? Let me know on Twitter, Facebook, email, etc. See you next week. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more nerdy political analysis, Please subscribe and you can follow me on Twitter at Social Sci-Fi Show and on Facebook at Social Science Fiction Podcast. 
You can also email me at socialsciencefictionshow at gmail.com. Feel free to comment, tell me what you like, what you don't like, and I'm always open for new show ideas. Thank you.